It's what I'd like to speak about this morning. Somewhat inspired by my visit to, to Scotland where I was leading a retreat at the Findhorn Foundation, a large spiritual ecological community in, near Inverness. Some of you may have heard of it. And uh, it was rather interesting. I think it was the first time I was leading a retreat within an established spiritual community of that nature rather than a retreat center or something more similar to Gaia House. And a lot of the people coming there, coming from perhaps a very different conception of practice and conception of spiritual life and very much more theistic, uh, one could say, focused on uh, a, a spirituality involving a personal God in some formal way and not necessarily involving quite so much silence and inner stillness. In fact, for most it would seem a rather large amount of busyness. And nonetheless, as we began the retreat, I was rather struck with how quickly there was a sense of settling into the form, settling into the process from both those who were somewhat familiar with insight meditation and the, the silence and the stillness of that practice, as you no doubt well aware, all of that, and that others were completely new and unfamiliar to it. And yet there was a way in which the qualities that they had obviously cultivated in their own spiritual practice came through into the different form, into the new approach. And as I said, one thing I was quite struck by and which I'd like to speak about in general terms today is the quality of surrender and how that might support and influence the way we practice insight meditation, the way we engage with this situation that we find ourselves in here on retreat or the situation that we find ourselves in which we call our life. And surrender is perhaps sometimes more often thought of or associated with those paths that we would maybe call devotional, involving a a giving up of our own choice and will to a, a guru or to a very authoritarian institution or structure um, that would demand of us certain things and uh, deny us others. And in the wisdom practice, in the practice of insight meditation, it's not always quite so obvious what is the place, what is the value of surrender. I just briefly looked in the, um, the talk catalogues in the library this morning as I was contemplating what to speak about and just to see if there was another talk on the topic um, as much to see if there might be something interesting in there as to um, see if anyone else had talked about it here and I didn't notice one of course there may well be one so perhaps a pointer to how often we reflect on this theme in the insight meditation tradition and so we might just begin with asking what is surrender? What is surrender in our practice or in our life? And as I said, traditionally, in terms of spiritual practice, surrender is seen as a surrendering to, to rules, to authority, or to the guidance of one who is invested with the authority of the divine or perceived as actually being the embodiment and therefore the voice of divine will or divine understanding in some form. And therefore, there's a, there's a surrender to the instructions, to the guidance or to the form that that person or that institution requires of us. And 
sometimes surrender perhaps gets something of a bad press and we may have seen or heard of in our lives or perhaps even experienced for ourselves the downside when there has been a, a surrender not just of one's will but equally of one's wisdom and one's own discernment and that at times in history and even certainly in the present figures have been given or taken more authority than they were capable of wisely using and those people who surrendered to that authority have been hurt, have suffered unnecessarily and in ways that perhaps discouraged them or discouraged us from pursuing or exploring the quality and the possibility of surrender in our spiritual life. And so, although there is this external form, we might say, of surrendering to rules or to authority, surrendering to a form, whatever that form might be, sitting and walking or bowing and praying, however we experience or conceive our spiritual practice. In, in that, it's not, a, it's not a passivity, it's not a giving away of our own discernment, our own sense of what is wise, what is appropriate, and what is actually beneficial to others and to ourselves. It's not some absolute letting go of all discernment, of all ability to make choices and determinations based on what we understand from our own experience and what we have learnt in our life. And it's, it's much more concerned, one might say, with an inner surrender. And here we have the expression in the form of an outer surrender in the way we surrender to the practice, to the sitting and the walking, to using the forms and the techniques. And you may be following the suggested schedule that's operating here in the hall and pretty much using that as the, the template, the guideline for your practice. Or you may have found your own rhythm in a different way, in a different form, and equally have a sense of letting go into that, of just engaging in that way. And yet that outer surrender can sometimes be done in a way that isn't really surrender at all, that there's more a sense of um, forcing oneself, or, or a sense of just having given up in an unhealthy way, in a way that actually is more a resignation, that there isn't really a spirit of aliveness in that surrendering too. It's more like, ah oh, well, I guess I better just do it. Without a, without a real sense of interest or a real sense of bringing oneself to that process, whether it be, as I said, the, the form of sitting, walking and paying attention as we speak of so much here. Or in the process of inner surrender, which is really, perhaps could be summarised as the process of surrendering to being present, of actually allowing ourselves to let go into just what is happening in each moment, in each experience. Seeing how, how often we'll, we'll have a sense of recognising what's going on and we either tend to, to think, you know, there's a moment of boredom. And we, we tend to think, well, this isn't really what should be happening. I should be making something other than that happen. Or we tend to believe and I think, really, I am bored. Yes, I, I should. I should go and find something exciting. I should generate an interesting fantasy for a little while to entertain myself or go for a sort of a walk amongst something more pleasant and interesting. Go, you know, observe the goldfish and see what I can learn from them, whatever it might be. And that surrender is really finding a place where we neither place it, put a demand 
upon what is happening, for anything that is for our own personal gratification, or for the situation, the experience to conform somewhat with our ideas, or our beliefs, or our expectation of how things should be. And at the same time, when things do conform with how we expect them to be, when they are in a certain way in accordance with our wishes, or our hopes, or our vision, that we don't grasp hold of them, that we don't take that on as some personal achievement or claim of ownership upon that experience or that, that moment, that place that we find ourselves in. But being present in this way, with this quality of inner surrender, we might evoke the image of surrender in more conventional terms or even as it's maybe used in terms of warfare or conflict, that one actually surrenders bringing to an end conflict. Surrender is about bringing to an end conflict and seeing where we get into conflict in our experience, in our meditation, where we struggle with different experiences, struggling with our mind, struggling with our body, or struggling with what someone else or something else is doing or not doing, and how we can so easily get caught in it. And sometimes we feel we need to bring resolution, we somehow need to produce a victor in the struggle. We need to succeed to win over the pain in our knees or the craziness in our minds. And yet surrender doesn't mean that we need to defeat or destroy that which we find ourselves in conflict with, nor yet does it mean that we are defeated by it or in any way destroyed by that which we find ourselves struggling with, but that we actually learn to relate to it from a different place where we're not actually seeking to, to, to overwhelm by force of willpower, nor yet are we feeling that we are defeated if we are not able to overwhelm by the force of our will or our intentions or all of the useful things we can suggest to ourselves or have suggested by others for use in our practice that may serve us and yet will never ever, and perhaps we might say, thankfully so, will never ever enable us to make our practice, our experience or our life conform to any model, to any idea of what we think we would like it to be or what we think it should be or what someone else has written down very helpfully in a book as to what they think it should be. That no matter how much we work at it, we can't make that happen. And surrendering is actually about allowing that truth, that reality, that understanding to to permeate into the way we practice, the way we relate to each moment. But we actually see that in the context of a, a wisdom practice, we could actually understand it as simply a surrendering to just what is. A complete and absolute surrender to the truth of this moment. We might sense in ourselves what that brings up, what that prospect generates within us, whether it be a sense of a longing for, uh, an interest in, a curiosity, or perhaps a sense of dread, or a sense of horror at the thought, no way, I couldn't do that. What would happen to me if I should actually surrender? How would I take care of my own well-being? And yet, in that surrendering, what we're really surrendering, what we're really letting go of, is our attachment. Our attachment to what we want or what we expect. Not, as I said before, our attachment or 
attachment is perhaps the wrong word, our commitment to our own well-being, our trust and faith in our capacity to find ways that support our well-being through surrendering to what is actually going on, through surrendering to what we see and experience in each moment. And more we're surrendering our tendency towards desire, towards aversion and towards disconnection, our habit and our pattern of creating what we want and attempting to impose that on the world. And yet as we do so, what we are confronted with again and again is that we can't, that it's not possible, and that our struggle to attempt to do so is the source of our greatest pain and suffering, the source of our sense of conflict and our lack of ease and peace in life. But we start to see as we practice and what we're asked to surrender to is the fact that it's all changing. And what would it mean not just to hear that teaching or to observe in our practice, oh yes, things change. This sensation changes to that sensation. This mind state changes to another. This weather goes from sunny to rainy to cloudy to hot to cool. And everything we experience, not just to observe that as an intellectual, somehow clinical fact and say, oh yes, they're right. The Buddha did actually have some sense to him when he said that all things change. But it's not just the knowing of it as a useful understanding or idea. It's actually, how does that affect the way we relate to each moment, to each experience, if we really understand that it is changing and we surrender to that? We stop finding ourselves in conflict with that reality. We stop relating to change from a place of wishing for some things to stay, from trying to hold on. That surrender so often means surrendering our attempt to hold on, to hold on to anything at all. And yet, in surrendering our tendency in that way, in surrendering equally to the fact that no experience can provide us lasting satisfaction, that because of that very changing nature that we see, that if we still find ourselves looking for satisfaction in the experience, then we haven't really understood what it means to say that nothing can give us satisfaction in any ultimate or lasting sense. We haven't clearly recognized it because our understanding needs to run so deep into our being that we, we actually stop seeking for satisfaction in all of those things that come and go. And this is the surrendering to that truth, actually making it part of the way we live. And equally surrendering to the truth, the understanding that all this is not who we are, that none of this is owned by us. All of this that we experience, all of this that we observe, this is not me or mine, this is not you or yours, it is just what is unfolding. And we see how quickly and easily In that element, we might feel we have a sense of understanding change, relating to things from a place of balance, not grasping so much. And yet so easily and so subtly that sense of self arises that says, oh yes, it's me that's surrendering. Ah, I'm actually getting better at surrender now. And we actually find that in surrendering, what we might actually be doing is creating the sense of self who is doing that surrender, who is making that surrender happen. And that we 
actually are asked to surrender our identity, our sense of who we are, as the ultimate surrender to the way things are. Because ultimately the truth of things is that we cannot pin down with any knowledge, with any idea, with any experience, who or what it is that we are. It's not possible. It's like trying to to grasp at a, a drop of mercury with a pair of tweezers. We just can't pick it up because it keeps changing form and shape, slipping away. And if you've ever had that situation or experience, perhaps broken a thermometer and tried to actually pick up the mercury with something, it's incredible. It's just there. And you squeeze it, and the moment you grab it, it just breaks at the point where you try and hold it and reforms itself instantly as though you hadn't touched it. And so again, it looks like it's something solid and whole, this little blob of quicksilver, as it used to be called. And yet you can't get a grip on it. There's nothing to hold there. And similarly, with, with our sense of who we are, to actually let go of a sense of who we are, without taking on the idea, the identity that I am letting go of my sense of who I am, and now becoming someone who has or is in the process of letting go of who one is, or one's idea and sense of self. But actually surrendering even that too, we start to see that it's not I who surrenders, it is I who is surrendered. And there's a world of difference between that. It's not ourself who is engaged in the surrender, but it's actually the quality and the process of surrender rather than an action or a a movement of volition and intention to produce a particular result, rather than seeing it in those terms, which is the rather habitual way we relate to things and how easily we relate to our meditation practice as something we are doing. As something we are doing. That's what we actually often believe it is. And we give ourselves good marks when we're doing it well and a pat on the shoulder for sitting that extra 15 minutes or for having that really concentrated period in our practice. And equally we feel that it's me that's doing it when we're fidgeting and shuffling on our cushion for 45 minutes and can't wait to get out the door at the end of it. And then, we, of course, it's still me that did that. And, and then rather than patting ourselves on the shoulder, we're perhaps slapping ourselves on our wrist, somehow taking the, the blame for all of that. With our sense of self and our doing nature, so engaged in what is happening, so identified with it. And, and yet that the the sense of surrendering without becoming someone who is the surrenderer or the one who has surrendered. That we actually see surrender as a process in the context of our practice whereby we're understanding more deeply what it means. So rather than a thing to do or a result to achieve, we actually relate to it as a as a quality of heart and mind which we are actually able to embody and which we embody through our understanding of how it serves us and equally of where we perhaps misapply it, misunderstand it and where it does not serve us. Such as where we perhaps think, well, surrender is just I'll wait for the instructions from the teacher and I'll just do exactly what they say and I won't actually bother thinking about or exploring my own experience. I'll just trust that they know what I'm doing and that they're telling me the right answers. And that kind of surrender might not actually be helpful. We might need to actually be, be very aware of what actually serves us, serves our well-being in that process. 
And so, understanding the process of surrender is always balanced, as in any part of our practice, with a discernment that can see, that can recognize and respond to what is actually of benefit to us, to what actually serves our practice and our well-being. And there's a way in which we can sense, again with the, the metaphor of surrender being an end of conflict, and that when we experience conflict, when we experience struggle in our practice, there's a way in which that's pointing to something that's going on for us, where we're struggling with what's going on for us, our experience in our body, our mind, our external world. If we're struggling with that in some way, if we find ourselves keep going back to a particular experience or range or realm of experience with a, with a sense of something of a fight occurring or a, a tightening and a contracting and a sense of intensity where we're battling, we perhaps know this experience well. So we might just ask ourselves in that moment, is there something here I need to surrender to? Is there something I need to surrender to? And at times it might just be needing to surrender to the very fact that we're caught in conflict and we can't seem to extricate or free ourselves from it in that moment. And yet not even making that a source of conflict. That using the image of the battlefield and kind of interestingly the Buddha at least to my reading of the, the modern translation, didn't seem to use that much the language of surrender. Um, and in fact, you know, we've heard of him speaking of the path of practices involving the process whereby one has to battle a thousand enemies a thousand times on a thousand battlefields. And it doesn't sound much like surrender, sort of rather militaristic metaphors. One has one's sword out in practice on occasion. And yet that, the idea in that situation of, of, of the battlefield is that surrender is where one surrenders, when one understands and recognizes that what one is opposing is greater than the forces or the capacities one has at one's personal or individual command. In some way that one's army of ego, of self, is not actually up to the battle of fighting it out, dominating or overcoming the truth of our life. And that our struggle to do so, our struggle with how things are, is doomed from the beginning. Surrender is very much involved with understanding that, that we don't succeed in overcoming the way things are, that we couldn't and never would. And that there's a way in which our mind, when confronted with patterns or tendencies that we might struggle with, psychological stories that we're familiar with, habits of distraction and disconnection that we might get to know rather well in our time in silence. But there's a way sometimes that we, we struggle with them, that we, we don't ever manage quite to give up the struggle until we realize that in some way it's hopeless. And that there's at quite a profound level a way in practice and somewhat fed into by the the way we talk about selflessness, about the, the end of the ego structure, how we can see the movement of I, of mind, in the mind, I wanting this, I not wanting that, I trying to become a better I, or a more spiritual self. And we see all that going on and we just sometimes yearn for it all to come to an end. We think somehow 
how will I bring this to an end? How will I dissolve this? How will it be that this incessant and tiresome and painful voice gives up or dies? And it's rather profoundly transforming when we actually realize that this voice doesn't need to die. And perhaps it's never going to. Perhaps it's just the voice. And it's our wish and our demand for it to be silent that's more of a problem than the fact that it's speaking. And that we feel we have no choice either but to believe it is telling the truth. Its story of who we are or what we want is the truth. Or that we must somehow get rid of it. We must somehow silence it forever. And that there is no possibility between these two. And yet these two lead us to relate either with grasping and identification to it, believing in it, or with aversion and fear. Fear of its power, fear of its influence in our life and wishing to somehow get rid of it, to stop it, to silence it. And we might notice the, the real depth of peace and ease when actually that voice of self becomes quiet on occasion. And doesn't seem to have quite the intensity or the authority that we're familiar with. And yet, often then the disappointment when we hear it arising again as we walk from in that silence still sitting into the dining room and the mind goes, ah, I want. Or, oh no, I don't like. Or will there be enough? And we find that sense of self arising. Surrendering to the fact that maybe thoughts just arise. Maybe they just happen. And it's our, our struggle with them or our believing in them that actually gives them that power, gives them that strength. And that there's a way in which there's a profound letting go when we actually see and we actually say within ourselves, oh, thoughts just happen. The sense, the story of self and I, it's just a story that's running. And I don't have to get rid of it any more than I have to believe it. I just need to see it for what it is. Understand that it's just a story. And that thoughts sprout into the mind, much the same way as hair grows on the head. And if we got frustrated with the fact we have to keep cutting our hair and wish for it to stop growing, how much help would that wishing be? What service would it do us to try and think our hair and to stop growing, to stopping to grow? And thoughts are not so different than that. In certain conditions, they sprout. And sometimes we find we like our hairstyle, and sometimes we find we don't. But they're just expressing their nature. And in just seeing that, we perhaps surrender. Surrender to that reality too. And that our process of surrendering asks us to surrender without knowing that to which we are surrendering. Without knowing what it will be that may be discovered in that process in that letting go, in that dissolving into just what we discover in each moment. Because so much of our sense of struggle and conflict, the sense of unwillingness to surrender is born of a wish to control, a wish to have things in a certain way because of fear of what it would be if we did not engage in that struggle, because of fear of what we would discover if we actually allowed ourselves to dissolve into just one moment at a time. And we really don't know what that would be until we do. 
We can't know what it would be until we actually find that place within ourselves in which it is possible to just dissolve into where we are. No sense of being in any way other than just what we observe, what we see in each moment. And that the the letting go of control that does at times give rise to a fear or that when there is a fear that is strong that we are identifying with when we find we're not able to let go we're not able to surrender in that way what it asks from us is not that we again eradicate that fear not that we will never experience the fear of surrendering of letting go our sense of who we are but that we actually bring trust that we find that trust is a quality very closely involved with the process and the the reality of surrender. And the trust enables us to meet fear in such a way that fear does not have power over us. It's not that we don't experience it, it's not that it may never arise for us, but that we don't give it power. We don't believe in it. And trust is what enables us, even in the face of fear of what it would be to let go, to actually surrender that we might have a sense of what profound relief that might be and at the same time a sense of absolute terror at what it might be because we don't know we just don't know and to trust our deeper sense of what is possible for us to surrender into that which we do not understand which we cannot grasp with our minds and yet which is in front of us in each moment not even in front of us, it's very... When we, when we really surrender into just the moment, when we're not seeking anything at all from it, it's just what it is. In that we're not any longer surrendering into the moment. We might perhaps just sense and experience the moment. And it's not that we're the moment, or the moment is we, or ourselves, but that that whole distinction is somewhat unnecessary. That whole way of thinking about it doesn't really make sense anymore. It's simply just what is. And that there's a way in which surrender speaks of, of dying. And our death is a metaphor and a symbol and an image for us that our life will be surrendered. We will surrender this very existence back to whence it came. Not at our choice. Not at our own timing. At least for the vast majority of us will come unbidden, perhaps unexpected. And that we will be asked to surrender into that. And that each moment we have the opportunity and the invitation to surrender in the way we might if we were dying. To actually die into the moment. To die into our experience. And in that dying, in that surrender, our our sense of self, the solidity, the contraction, and self is essentially just a contraction, just a contraction. That contraction dissolves. In the same way that a cube of ice, frozen, hard, and feeling so solid and individual, dissolves in a glass of warm water. And in that dissolution is found to be none other than the water it has dissolved in.
I remember once in a retreat where this theme was quite strong and predominant for me, a short poem coming which expressed some of the spirit for myself and so I just share it with you. Like an insect to the flame, I am drawn to my death, immolation, unintending, unresisting, self-sufficient surrender, the inner fire and the phoenix are one. And for me, there's the sense in practice of, of really being drawn. It's not that we are doing it ourselves, but that we are actually drawn by something deeper and more powerful than our being, our individual selves. We are actually drawn to this immolation, this being consumed by the fire of life. And that when we allow that process to happen, where we're not coming from a place of intention of trying to make it happen, nor yet are we coming from a place of resistance of trying to prevent it happening in any way. But there's actually a surrender in which there's a surrender which is self-sufficient, which is not asking for anything other than just what is there. That there's a sufficiency of surrendering into just this moment. That in this what we discover is that which consumes us and which we could say burns the ego structure, dissolves that cold and frozen contraction of self. And that which is discovered, that which perhaps flies free from that process, the phoenix, that arises from the flames and the ashes of the ego, that these are not other than the same. And that we, we come to understand that the process of transformation of practice is in a way a surrendering to the purity of awareness, to the purity of simply each moment. And in the meeting of that quality of rather pure awareness with each moment, the sense of the one who is surrendering, the process of surrender and that to which we surrender are all found really to dissolve into the same essence. So could we sit quietly for a minute or two please? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.